Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. If you're teaching at a more complicated level than Jesus, you're not teaching biblically. So Jesus taught in a way that people understood. They didn't always like it. Listen, they didn't put him on a cross because they didn't understand. They understood. That's why they put him on a cross. We're back in the book of Revelation. Pastor Randy continues our summer series, Beloved. In today's message, we begin, as we always do, in God's Word. Turn in your Bible now to Revelation chapter 5. After student pastor Josh Alamon reads verses in that passage, Pastor Randy begins today's teaching. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scrolls or look into it. And I began... I began to weep loudly because no one, no one was found worthy enough to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, all among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as, as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and took the scrolls from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Boss man. All right. You know what I get to do in addition to saying shake hands with each other, which I want you to do? I get to say for the first time in like a year and a half, hey, if anybody doesn't have a Bible, we have Bible cards. We've not been able to do Bible cards for like a year and a half. So bring out the Bibles, baby. All right, Patrick. So um, Patrick is bringing out the Bible cart. And thank you guys so much for, uh, for being with us today. So shake hands with your neighbor. And if you need a Bible, lift your hand up and we'll get you one. So welcome, we're glad you're with us. You guys can be seated. In Revelation, we have this, these words that we start working through and, and, and looking at. And remember, words are a big part of culture. Words really help define what a culture is and who a people are, are and who a nation is. So as we've been walking through this, as we've been looking at, at, at these words, I have this word list and one of those words is hermeneutic, the science of interpretation. I've been teaching Revelation from this standpoint. There are lots of different lenses that people use to look at the book of Revelation. But the way I'm gonna teach it, the way I've taught it and the way I'm going to teach it is what would a first century Christian who has a knowledge of the Old Testament, what would they think is being spoken to them? And then what would they say to us today? 
So there's lots of other interpretations and views, but that's what we're gonna be doing as, as we work through this. What's, if someone knew the Old Testament, and, I, and Revelation, quite honestly, doesn't make any sense, we spend a lot of time talking about what Revelation means for the future. The reality is there's so much we can learn from going back and looking and seeing what the Old Testament says because there's so much Old Testament imagery that's in the book of Revelation. I have two big hermeneutics that I use, two big science of interpretation things. Here's the first one. If you're teaching at a more complicated level than Jesus, you're not teaching biblically, okay? So Jesus taught in a way that people understood. They didn't always like it. Listen, they didn't put him on a cross because they didn't understand. They understood. That's why they put him on a cross. It, you, it shouldn't be super complicated. Here's the second thing. Scripture interprets scripture. So when you find something you don't understand, that's, that's 2 Timothy 3.16, that's Hebrews 4.12. Scripture interprets scripture. When you have something you don't understand, you go to something that you do understand, right? I mean, that's just common sense. And that we do that with scripture. Uh, if, if I yelled out, um, how many veterans do we have in the room today? How many veterans do we have? Go ahead and raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. It's good, all right. If I yell, hit the deck, you know what that means, okay? What does that mean? Get down, all right. If I'm playing Uno with my granddaughter and I say, hit the deck, that means something very different. If we're saying, hey, we need to dress this up, if you're out, you know, when, when we went with Sarah and we were looking for a wedding dress and we said we wanna dress this up, that means a different veil or a belt or something. If we're at a baked potato bar, it means something totally different, right? It, I mean, to dress it up, it means some chives and butter. You, you interpret based on where you are. How many of you guys know what a skip pass is? Don't lie, because I might call on you. A skip pass, okay, now some of y'all do, because we've got some coaches in the room. But, but a skip pass is a, basically, it's a basketball term in which you go past one, the next pass, and you go across that to a different player. I coached at, at Daryl Dawkins Boys Club in Orlando, Florida. We won the city championship in two divisions, two years in a row, went on and beat every team that, that came from the state as well. And, and I used the skip pass a lot. Now, you... Nobody in this room raised their hand when I said, do you know what a skip pass is? But what are you pretty confident that it is fundamentally? What is it? It's a what? It's a pass, yeah. So you go on what you don't know based on what you do. So, so if I was explaining to you, if I was trying to coach you in using a skip pass, you would know that it involves a pass. It's not a shot. It's not a dribble. You interpret based on what you know. So as they're, as they're gonna be hearing about all of this prophecy, that which is the after this, the ghost of Christmas future, the first thing there in your notes. We've, we've, been, we've been in what Jesus has done on the cross, the head atoning work. We've talked about the letters to the churches, the now, and now he says after this. After the letters to the churches, after the church is prepared to be the church that it's called to be. That's the, that, all of this other stuff is going to happen out of the church being what the church is supposed to be. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Remember this, church. It's on earth as it is in heaven. Last week, when Ephorus came and talked to you, and the church at Laodicea, and there was a knocking, 
And what does Jesus say to do? What does he say to do? What do most people do when they ask, when they knock on the door? Open the door. The door is opened here and the door is opened in heaven. This is the amazing thing. There is incredible, there's always an incredible junction between what happens on earth and in heaven. We're gonna see that as we continue to go through Revelation. Standing open. And the first voice, who's that first voice? Well, that first voice is Jesus. It's the first voice that speaks. He's the one who's speaking. Again, you interpret based on what you've already known, what you've already read, what's already stated there. Which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet. That's boldly, loudly. Come up here and I will show you what must take place. It doesn't say what might take place. It doesn't say what will probably take place. It doesn't say what we're considering will take place. This is about God's sovereignty. It's about what must take place. The church has been actively involved and now God's saying this, we're gonna be, work, we're gonna be moving at a whole different level going forward. So watch what we're gonna do then in the after this. At once, verse two, at once I was in the spirit. He's seeing things now the way that you see when you're in the spirit of God, when you're following God the way that you're supposed to be following him, when you're seeing things in the way that God sees things. When, when, when it says in the spirit, it means I'm seeing things the way God sees things, whether that's heaven or earth. And behold, a throne stood. That phrase, a throne stood, is so different from the tabernacle where the throne moved around or, the, or, or idols thrones that, that are made out of wood and stone that move around. This is a stone that, imagine it, it's in concrete. It's, it's not going anywhere. This, it stood. And that word stood has an eternal meaning to it. It's, it's not that it's a throne that's standing for a while. It's a throne that stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he sat there with the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. That word Jasper is essentially a clear stone. Carnelian or Sardian, some of your Bibles say Sardian, was a stone from the area of Sardis, the church in Sardis. It was a red stone. On the breastplate, in Exodus 28 it talks about this, on the breastplate of the priest were the 12 stones that represented the tribes of God's people. And that began with red and it ended with the jasper. So this is saying, this is representing all of God's people. You're gonna see that over and over again in this text. And it says, there was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Whenever you see a rainbow, know this, this is what it's saying. It's saying God is sovereign and God is inviting. That's what a rainbow always means, that God is sovereign and God is inviting. So as you see rainbows, remember that. This is about the sovereignty of God. This is a promise. It's not a warning. It's an invitation. God isn't saying, here's a rainbow, stay away. He's saying, here's a rainbow. This is a promise of my goodness. This is a promise I'm not gonna destroy you. This is a promise that I'm gonna be working to bring restoration and healing and forgiveness. And around the throne were 24 elders, verse four. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments. Some people will tell you that God is done with the Jewish people. 
and that the church replaces that. That's called replacement theology. I don't believe replacement theology for one very simple thing. I have a high school education. And in that high school education, they taught me this. Actually, an elementary school education. They taught me 12 plus 12 equals 24. It's the simplest way to look at this text right here and see this, that you have 12 tribes, Old Testament tribes, you have 12 apostles. You have an Old Testament people and you have a New Testament church. And by the way, anyone who believes that God would forget about his people doesn't know that we have a bridegroom that doesn't run off at the first sign of trouble. Amen? He's faithful. When, when God makes the covenant with Abraham and he goes between the animals that are fractured, he's not saying, if I'm faithful, he's saying, he's not even saying, if you're faithful, he's saying, listen, whatever happens here, if, if this relationship gets broken, I'm the one who gets destroyed. He's faithful, even when it means that he's the one who's on the cross. We sin, he's the one on the cross. He doesn't run away from his people. That's the whole point of the cross. So I, I, don't, I don't believe that this is a replacement thing. You'll hear people say that phrase, and, and I, it's 24. And it says that they're clothed in white garments. That's clearly a, a wedding picture. And Revelation, wedding is woven through Revelation. We're gonna talk about that at the end of the sermon a little bit. It, it's woven through there. I, I say this, at, if you've ever seen me do a wedding, and I do a lot of weddings because we had a huge youth group in Snowville, and a lot of those guys are getting married. I think, I think starting next week, we have a wedding like every weekend for like 10 weeks. And when, when I'm standing there next to the groom, and he's standing here, I kind of lean up, and, and when the doors open up, and she walks through there, and he starts crying, I say, you know it's not always gonna be like this. You take a good look right now. And when she's in a bad mood, when, when I don't know who said come on now, but, but you need to stay off of this, all right. When, when, she's, in, when she's in a bad mood, when, when listen, when she gets pregnant and she wants pickles and fudge at 1 a.m., no ice cream, just pickles and fudge. You go get it. You don't say, honey, it's one. Like, we, we have relish and caramel. Isn't that close? No, pickles and fudge. You go get it. I said, you remember that. And you remember this moment because this is an epic moment as she walks down that aisle. This is, this is what's going on. This is an epic moment that you see getting prepared here. Clothed in white garments, gold crowns on their heads. This is, this is about righteousness and purity and, and beauty. There's all kinds of crowns that scripture talks about. Crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4, 18. This is what's amazing about righteousness. This is, this is all you gotta do to be righteous. It says it right here at the end of this verse. But to, to all who love his appearing, that's righteous. You're like, you're like at home and you hear your dad walking down the hallway 
and you're like putting away whatever it is you got out. Or, I mean, if you've ever been somewhere and you've been doing something and the, the authority, whoever that is, shows up, you're at work and you're, you're shopping for Amazon things and the boss walks around the corner, you don't exactly love their appearing at that moment. This is righteousness. You love their appearing. You want them to come into the environment. You know, my, my dad was a cop and was a federal pure, uh, prison official and he was the captain of the riot squad and I knew every day if, if something went bad, it would be my dad that suited up and went in and tried to make that right. When I would hear that car door shut and I'd hear those big feet walking up the steps, I was glad. Righteousness Righteousness is wanting his appearing. Amen? It's just, it's such a good word picture. Steadfastness, that's, that's in James. It, it, if you're steadfast under trial, there's a, there's a steadfast crown. There's a self-control crown. That's the one about the athletes and, and getting an a, a imperishable crown. There's the glory crown in 1 Peter 5, 4. That's that when you've been faithful and, and Jesus comes back, that there's, there's this crown of glory. It's, it's a picture of his glory. There's a soul winner crown for those that have been faithful with the gospel, 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? This is what he's gonna, he's gonna say. So who'd you bring with you? Who came along with you? I, I'm... I didn't say this first service, but God put it on my heart between, and, and I want to say this. I got really comfortable during COVID teaching the Bible, showing up where I was supposed to show up, and essentially being distanced. It's time that we go back and be the church. It's time that we go back and step into people's lives again. It's time that we start sharing our faith again, we have to know how to do that. And the Lord, again, the Lord, when, when God rebukes me, it's, it's always with gentleness. And this was a gentle rebuke this week, but I was praying this week over this text and, and he just gently said to me, so who have you talked to about me when you weren't behind a pulpit in the last year? Not many, not many. One of my worst moments ever I had a friend in middle school that wanted me to take him to church every week. but he was a little different. And I thought he would kind of cramp my style. And he died. And I don't say that to you from a guilt perspective, but I blew that one 
so bad. And I tell you that story for two reasons. Number one, when God puts people in your life, when his spirit moves, step into those things. I also say that if he would trust me to do this when I did that, it shows the depth of his forgiveness and redemption. You can blow this thing and he won't count you out. There's a, there's a martyr's crown for those that were faithful. All those crowns, they're clothed in white. It's this beautiful scene. There's lightning. Lightning always means God's up to something wondrous. When you see light, when you see rainbows, know he's sovereign. Wherever you see him, God's sovereign. Whenever you see lightning, whenever you 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 hear the sound of that thunder. And by the way, it's not lightning and thunder, but I wanna make a law that anybody that shoots fireworks after 10 p.m. has to take care of my dogs for a week. Because <laughs> I got one dog that tries to crawl under the couch, and I got another dog that <laughs> till like two in the morning was attacking every door in the house. Like, oh, it's over there. And you know, Cash is over there barking at that door. And then it's over there, and he's over there barking at that door. We went through some melatonin in our, in our house last night for those dogs. There's lightning. Some, God's up to something. The seven torches is, is the church. The church is, is ready here. The, the seven spirits, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is here. And, and look at what's going on. We're not done. There's a sea in verse, verse six. There's, there's a sea of glass. It looks like a sea of glass. It's not a physical sea. It looks like a sea of glass. It's beautiful. Around the throne are the four living creatures. If you look in Ezekiel chapter one, you're gonna see these, these creatures. It's, they're, it's just written right out there. A little slightly different in terms of, in, in Ezekiel, they're different. Here, here there's this, there's this co combination that, that they're there. And it's, it's the, the lion, the wild animals, the ox, the, the domesticated, the, the man, the humanity, and the eagle, the birds. All of creation is what it's saying. And all of creation is crying out these words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We're back into that time aspect of what he's done, what he's doing, that what he's going to do, and what he's done in the past who he is now and who he is in the future is the same thing. It's holy, holy, holy. That word holy, some people hear that word and they think it means away from me. That's, that's not really what it means. It's not just something totally other. Because if, if it's just totally other, if it's, some people say we can't know his holiness, this is what his holiness is. His holiness means it's not eroded by sin. It's total, it's whole, it does it does go back to that word complete. It's, it's total. That's who he is, not eroded by sin. When couples come in and talk to us about their marriages, the first thing I do is I say, can we go back to when you fell in love before this thing happened? When parents and children are in rebellion, what, before this thing, can we go back before everything got eroded by sin? Because that's what sin does. It erodes. It takes away our humanity. It takes away our dignity. It takes away what it is meant to be. 
And it says in Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy. It's the way you emphasize things. God is love. He is loving. Scripture is filled with reference to the word love. Nowhere in scripture, though, does it say God is love, love, love. As a matter of fact, you can't trust love of someone who isn't holy. You can't trust that love. That's, well, I love you, and I love you, and I love you the same. No, this is what it's saying. There is, there is a love here, there is a depth of love here that isn't eroded by sin. It's not going to change. It's not gonna be pulled away. It's not gonna be taken away. It's not gonna be changed. Chapter five, and I saw on the right hand of him the, the, the hand of judgment who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now, Ezekiel chapter two and Daniel 12 talk about scrolls and scrolls being about fulfillment. But in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 32, and you would know this just from the way that things were written in among the Hebrew people and really among a lot of ancient Near Easterners, this is what you would do. If you bought a piece of property, but you didn't have all the money for it, you, you went and you, you, put, you, put your, you put down some money. They would give you a title deed. It would be a scroll. And it would be written on the inside of the parchment. And on the outside, there'd be a little bit of writing. This debt is owed and there'd be a seal put on it. But if you missed your payment, they would add more interest to it and they'd put another seal on it. But then if you went and you had to borrow some money from this person, you, you get some more money and they write that on the outside. And you can see there's writing on the inside, not because the parchment isn't thick like your Bible where you can see between the parchment was thick, but the ink was so strong. It had been written so clearly. There's a title deed. There, there's a promise of what is going to be. There's a promise of a life and, and a future that's going to be. That's what's written. It's literally the title to your soul that's on this. But, but there's writing on the outside and there's a seal and writing on the outside and a seal and, and another debt and a seal and another debt and a seal and another debt and a seal. And there's seven seals and this is what it means. The debt is complete. It essentially means this is the debt that can never be paid for. You can't pay this off. It would be like if somebody came to me today and said, said um, you, um, you, have a, you have to pay me a million dollars. Well, if I died, I might, if I died with life insurance and everything else, maybe. That's, I, there's no way I can do a million dollars. No way. I cannot do a million dollars. I mean, there's no way. Everything I have and all my life insurance and all that, but, but I can't pay this debt. I can't pay this debt. There's, I, I have no means whatsoever. So what does Jesus do on the cross? What does Jesus cry out on the cross at the end? He yells out to tell us die. What's that mean? Paid in full. It's paid. That debt's been paid. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy? 
to open the scroll, break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look into it. God doesn't go against his own word. Even the Father can't open this scroll. Think about that just a little bit. This is a debt that's owed. God doesn't go against his word. God doesn't go against the things that he says have to be. He's holy. He doesn't change the rules midstream. If you've ever played pickup basketball and halfway through the game, they go, no, the white line's not out. It's the blue line that's out. No, God doesn't do that. God doesn't change the rules up midstream. This is a title deed. The debt's complete. And I began, verse four, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open it, to open the scroll or to look into it. That word weeping, it, it doesn't mean crying a little bit. I, I haven't cried over physical pain in a, I mean, since about 13 years old. But man, I've cried. This is, this is weeping. This is go into your closet and grab a hold of the shelf or the curtain rod and stand there and weep. That's what this is. This is, this is weep. This is, I have no hope weeping. Nothing, this can't get better weeping. That's what this kind of weeping is. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more, stop crying for look. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered and he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Amen, church. Amen, yes. That's what that means. Your debt can be paid because he can open those scrolls because he's worthy. It said no one was found worthy in verse four. Listen, if, if, if I came up to the stage to do a trust fall, okay, and I kept backing up, okay, and like I get right here, all right, and I'm, I'm focusing on something right now in the front of me, okay, okay, if I, um, if I invited you to come up to catch me, I think you would try, and you probably could but I don't think your boy could. It'd be, a, it'd be a bad thing. I could, listen, my granddaughter Harper, I am very confident, I think she's watching online today, I think Harper would try to catch me. Only the first time we did this, probably not the second time we did this. But she would be willing, but not worthy. She would want to. Lots of people are willing. The question isn't who's willing, who's worthy. He says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Jesus was before David. And it says this, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, and it's a diminutive term there. It's, it's, it's a lamb it's like a little lamb. It's like a little pet lamb. 
Just a little pet lamb. Just a little, little pet lamb. Who's scared of a little pet lamb? I mean, nobody's scared of a little lamb. Just a little bitty, little bitty, little bitty, bitty lamb. Just a little lamb. Just tiny little lamb standing as though it had been slain. This lamb's not tough. Jesus came the first time, and they're always trying to kill him. They're always, they're always trying to run him off a cliff or capture him. When Jesus comes back, though, it's very different. But they had underestimated him. <laughs> one of our, one of our uh, students is, has, a, has a Twitter feed, and, and she said... Um, it, it said, um, it, it's, her name's Audrey. She's hilarious. She's just the funniest girl. And, and on her Twitter feed, it, it said, um, there was a picture and Dr. Fauci said, if you're vaccinated, you can do anything you want on July 4th. And she wrote, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> and, and, and this, this and it has 217,000 likes, by the way, Okay. 217,000 likes and like 100,000 shares or something. And, and this one guy wrote, I don't think you will. And she wrote, you underestimate me. <laughs> and then he wrote, you're not Nicolas Cage. And she wrote, who's to say? Uh, I'm like, buddy, you just need to back away. You are out of your league. <laughs> but this, this lamb has been underestimated. He has seven horns, that's total power. Seven eyes, he's omniscient. He can see everything, he knows everything. It's in the, he is full of the spirit of God and he's sent into all the earth. And he went and he, look at this, and he took the scroll from the right hand to him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, that's worship, and golden bowls full of incense. Look at this church which are the prayers of the saints. He hears your prayers. Prayers, it's 24, by the way. It doesn't say just the New Testament apostles. It's 24. It's the 12. He hears those prayers, Old Testament and New. Zechariah prayed, give me a child. No babies. Elizabeth's an old woman now. Zechariah goes in and God says, I'm gonna give you a son, Zechariah. I heard your prayers. You haven't prayed that prayer in 30 years. You don't even think it's physically possible now for Elizabeth to have a baby. He hears your prayers. They're kept. Sometimes, listen, sometimes we pray and we're like, Lord, you're, you're not answering me. And if you don't feel like he hadn't answered your prayers, you don't pray much. We feel that way. Lord, where, where are you? Are you gonna answer this? No, look, he keeps them. Golden bowls full of incense, the prayers of the saints. He keeps them. Listen, there's a connection between the atoning work of Jesus, the sending and wooing of the Holy Spirit, and the prayers of God's people. I don't know how it works exactly. I just know it does. Jesus' atoning work, the sending and the wooing of the Holy Spirit. God is moving, God is doing things and the prayers of God's people. I was, Sheba was reading a book the other day when we were on our, on our trip to uh, Nashville. She was reading The Cross and the Switchblade. 
God put on the heart of David Wilkerson to go into New York City and reach into the gang community there, the gang people. There was a cover of Life Magazine had a picture of the gangs of New York and David Wilkerson, this little backwards country preacher, goes into New York City and he goes and he finds out who's the toughest gang. It's the Mau Mau's. Who's the leader of that gang? His, his name's Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz grew up in a home filled with witchcraft, rejected by his parents, goes to New York to live with his grandparents. Within a year, they can't handle him. He's out on the streets. And in, at, at the age of 18, he's leading the Mau Mau's, the toughest gang in all of New York, because he was the most vicious guy there. And, and David Wilkerson goes and finds him and tells him about Jesus. And Nicky Cruz says, listen, get away from me or I'll kill you. And he says, listen, you can cut me up into a thousand pieces. And every piece of that will tell you, Nikki, that Jesus loves you and so do I. And today, today, Nikki Cruz leads a ministry in New York City to the gangs of New York. How does it work? The prayers of God's people, the sending and the wooing of the spirit, the atoning work of Jesus. I don't know the exact formula. I just know that that formula works. And they sang a new song, verse nine, worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals. You were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Look at, look at what it says. He says, you ransom people for God. That word people there literally means all kinds of people. Look at the end of verse nine. Tribe, language, people, nation. Distinctions. We live in our distinctions, don't we? Based on our tribe, people were around, the language that we speak, the, the people that, that in this place, it's different, it's a used a little different. That means like your community who you identify with as your community or your nation. And then he says, you've made them a kingdom. He takes our divisions and makes us a kingdom. He takes what we use to separate us and brings us together. He takes what pulls us apart, the things that we use to separate ourselves and brings us together as, as one people. I, I, you, you know, people always say, you know, th this is the worst it's ever been about the division that we have. People say that every generation. Well, I'm pretty old. It is. It's the worst I've ever seen it. People are more divided than I've ever seen in my lifetime. I was a little kid in the sixties. I had a brother in Vietnam there was division, but we have social media now. We're in the 60s and we have social media. We are divided. We are divided people. I, I am very proud of my family and what my family has fought for, the role in government my family has. I, I'm, I'm proud of that going back generations. But when we get to heaven, we're not worshiping under an American flag. 
we're worshiping in a kingdom of God. And we should celebrate today because, as my dad used to say, this is the worst nation except for the rest. And we have hope here, and we have freedom to make it better tomorrow, and not everybody does. One of the guys I disciple is Noel, and his foot was broken, so I was been picking him up, and we were riding back in the car this week, and he just started talking about this nation. He goes, people don't know what we have freedom here. We can make it better. We can change things. He goes, most places you can't. And there are people in the world that hate us and they really like it when we hate each other. And let me just say, if they come over here to get us, they ain't gonna pick us apart. They're not gonna pick some of us to get. It's all of us. And if we stand together, this nation we can do something for the next generation that makes the world a better place. And if we hate each other, and I'm not talking to you, I'm really talking to people that probably will say mean things on my Facebook feed. If we tear each other apart, let me just tell you again, they're not just coming for one group of us. They're not just coming for one color of sin. They're coming for all of us. They don't see us as different. Neither does God. Amen. Neither does God. And they're innumerable. I looked and heard around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands. It's a new, you can't even count this number. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them saying, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb. And the four living creatures said, amen, so be it. And they fell down and they worshiped. That word worship, it, it means this. You're, you're leaving the house and you're on your way out of the house and it's busy. And you gotta get to work or you gotta get to school. We have a lot of teachers here. You gotta get to school on time. Or you gotta catch the bus. Worship literally means you're on your way out, you stop, you turn, and you kiss. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're busy. I gotta get this thing done. I got stuff to do. And you stop, and you turn and you're, I gotta get to practice. I, I, I gotta go study for this test. I gotta mow the yard. I gotta go down and catch the, get the mail. I gotta binge watch. I gotta video game. I, I, I gotta, you stop and you turn and you kiss. You remember that? To, to stop and turn and kiss. That there's an affection that God desires. I, um, I listen to a lot of preachers, listen to a lot of sermons. And one of the things that I've seen has happened, especially in the last year that YouTube 
has been more prominent and preachers are, are doing more YouTubing than people is I've listened to preachers be critical of other preachers. And I need to be careful here that I'm not being critical of preachers who are critical of other preachers. All right, so I gotta be careful here. But I'm gonna be a little bit. Um, what, here's one of the things that I hear a lot is a worship song shouldn't be, you shouldn't be able to insert the words of Jesus. If you, put, if you took the word Jesus out and you put boyfriend or girlfriend instead of Jesus, that shouldn't be a worship song. It should be more involved than that. Listen, I think if that's the worst thing I ever do, I think he's gonna be okay with that. I, I think if the worst thing he ever says is, you know, that song you sang was a little shallow, I think he's gonna be all right with that. And here's the thing. I, look, Song of Solomon is a, is a picture of love between a man and a woman. That's not about me and Jesus. I pray it's not. Um, it's not. But in Revelation at the end, you know what it says we have? We have a wedding. And the church is the bride. It's, an, it's a metaphor. It's an analogy. The church is the bride and Jesus is the groom. And I know that some of y'all have a hard time with that metaphor. I know some of you have a hard time with the metaphor of a father. But our heavenly father isn't like that daddy you had. Our, our, the bridegroom Jesus isn't like that husband or wife that you had. And that father and that bridegroom desires that you would stop and turn and kiss. That there would be love. That you would notice him. That you would carve out space for him. Time for him. Love of him. And we're gonna do that now with communion. We're gonna do that in what we sing because he's a God that desires our worship. And that's what's going on in heaven right now. And I think heaven sees on earth as is in heaven. Can we stand and let's worship him? Amen. This week, stop, turn, and kiss. Our Father is worthy of our worship. Thanks for joining us. I'm Myrna Brown.